Blog Talk Radio. Hello, it's 4.30 uh, in the afternoon, a half hour before cocktail time. And this is Dr. Simon, and uh, I intermittently do a show I call The Stories We Live By. And I want to talk today about Freud and his stories. Freud told a lot of stories. Uh, some of them he took literally and, and took them as the truth, and some of them he himself referred to as just-so stories, uh, took them less seriously. He had a very wide-ranging mind. I used to be very critical of so many of Freud's ideas, um, <clears throat> partly uh, because I was taking some of his ideas too literally. I was taught them in a literal way. Uh, and I think when I talk today, I want to talk about them in a more symbolic way. Uh, psychoanalysis has gone, which was Freud's baby, Freud's creation. The, the overall overarching story that Freud told was called psychoanalysis. Um, it, it, his theory itself has become kind of uh, ancient history, and the people who go through psychoanalytic training will still read some Freud, um, maybe more than just a little, uh, and and he his picture is on the wall of a lot of uh, psychoanalytic institutes, uh, but the theory has moved into interpersonal and more subjective realms, uh, which make it more simpatico to my ideas now. Uh, but it's nice to go back into ancient history, as I am becoming rapidly ancient history myself, and look at some of his ideas, not taking them literally for what they might add to the current situation, some insights about what's going on with people today and, uh, uh, and, and our society in general, which, uh, I must add again, uh, is, uh, to me, falling apart and becoming something I hardly recognize. Um, some of it I don't recognize that I'm sort of pleased is happening, and other parts of it just horrify me. What's, what's happening in the presidential election, what's happening with the mass shootings over and over again, where basically children are going into schools or theaters and killing other children, uh, and, and we become paralyzed to do anything about it. And the only people who speak up are people who will say things like, uh, uh, my Second Amendment rights to carry a machine gun uh, trump the dead bodies I see around me. Uh, that, that, to me, is so dehumanized and so frightening uh, that I don't know where I live. So let's talk a little bit about Freud that might produce some insights uh, on a social level, but also on the individual level, because the individual and the social flow into one another. They flow into one another. Um, so, uh, for, well, the first thing I learned about Freud was the id, the ego, and the superego. That was an in, in, in introductory psych. Psych 101, uh, Freud, id, ego, superego. Said Freud, the id is the repository of our basic instincts. He was not an evolutionist, Freud. Uh, in fact, he was uh, kind of a Lamarckian, and I won't get into the difference between Freud and Lamarck, but Lamarck is now rather totally discredited, and Darwin uh, won the day. Um, but it's an interesting idea that evolution, if I, if I add a notion to Freud, evolution left us certain kind 
kinds of impulses or feelings uh, that, when aroused, direct our action and become very powerful in directing action. Um, for Freud, the two main uh, drives uh, that he concentrated on, mostly because they have interpersonal, great interpersonal uh, consequences when we act upon them, are sex and aggression. And basically, Freud saw us uh, as being dominated, unless other aspects of personality develop, by our sex and aggression. And I agree that from an evolutionary point of view, sex is incredibly important and built into us because we are, uh, as modern evolutionary theory suggests, uh, repositories of genes, uh, which Richard Dawkins refers to as uh, the selfish gene. Uh, And we sort of are directed, uh, without being conscious of it, to get our genes into as many other individuals so that the genes survive. We don't. But as long as the genes survive, from an evolutionary point of view, our species continues, uh, and we continue in an odd way as individuals. So, uh, this part of the theory, uh, anti-evolutionists can't stand, uh, and it's one of the most difficult parts for them to swallow in terms of of, uh, uh, some of their religious beliefs, some religious beliefs. Because there is aggression. Uh, when something stands in our way, when something threatens us, we become angry, enraged, fearful, uh, fear being the motivator of anger, and we strike back. Um, and if we act on impulse and, and strike back, um, and if this particular aggressive urge or aggressive feelings uh, isn't uh, modified, controlled, directed, Uh, we can end up uh, destroying people we love, destroying ourselves. The ego, and by the way, there is no id. You can't look in the brain and and see an id. You can't find it as a thing. It's not the id. It is a series of emotions that are built into us through evolution. The ego, uh, and again, I use the word the ego from historical perspective, is not a thing. You can't find it in the brain. But the ego are all the skills that keep us alive, interact with the environment, and allow us to satisfy the needs uh, that keep us alive, the sex and the aggression. Uh, If we have to have a fight, a well-coordinated attack, uh, you know, uh, a boxer, who acts in anger and loses control is going to be quickly annihilated by his opponent. Um, But all the basic skills that we possess and that which develop, the ego develops. It's a rudimentary um, aspect of personality. When we're young, babies can do very little for themselves. And one of the main jobs is to develop the skills that allow us to deal with a complex society. And one of the insights I've had for many years now is that the egos of more and more people simply do not have the skills to deal with a society as complex, as as intellectually demanding, as technically demanding as ours does. We've made things in many ways that are too complicated for more and more people to live in. Um, Really complicated. 
somebody called me on my phone while I was in the car, and I'm damned if I didn't almost have an accident and miss the call because the technology of dealing with these phones, which is uh, quite easy for my grandchildren, uh, is not at all easy for me. Some of the men who are the most angry in our society, uh, who demand their guns and are acting aggressively, even if they're not killing anyone, are individuals whose jobs have been exported overseas uh, and who don't have the skills to be the warrior, to be the head of a family, uh, to, to uh, uh, capture the female prize of their dreams, and are frightened and are angry. When I was doing active therapy, I had very few patients I didn't try to direct to go back to school and get an academic degree, get their diploma, and go to college. Take stuff that they would really enjoy and love, but also take the technical things and develop the insights to not only engage in self-control, but allow you to interact with other people in a more effective, less primitive, uh, uh, less overtly sexual or aggressive way. And some of the cases that and the people I considered my most successful were people who did go back to school uh, and continued their education. And uh, one of the books I wrote uh, uh, was based on the premise that good therapy was educational and good education was therapy. And that I always felt I helped more people in my work in the classroom over the years than I did individual clients or even small groups that I work with. The processes are different, but the end goal was the same, to help people develop an ego, a set of skills that allow them to express their needs in a socially acceptable way and to deal with their life in a creative fashion, to be creative, to bring things into the world that are helpful to others that weren't there before, which to me is the essence of creativity. A little while ago, I listened to Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, Um, I caught it on the radio uh, as it was ending this afternoon, and I haven't listened in a long time. And I listened with with just sheer pleasure and awe that this could come from the mind of an individual, another human being such as myself, uh, with a skill and a talent that I never developed and don't have. And I could sit there so enthralled uh, and so full of of pleasure and joy uh, that this individual... Uh, could put down on paper, and then 110 musicians can play what he put down, and something is in the world now that makes life really worth living and wonderful. The third element was the superego. And the superego, by the way, I'm not going to finish my my ideas on Freud today, but um, if I'm in the mood, I will do another another show next week on what was left over, because I think it's worthwhile. Uh, the superego for Freud was the conscience. And uh, again, it's not a thing. It's not something that uh, can be found in your brain. It can't be scanned uh, with x-rays or uh, MRIs or anything of the kind. It's a set of beliefs. It's a set of emotions, uh, very often leading to guilt and shame that control action. That stop us from doing things. That stop us from doing things uh, that could be destructive to ourselves and others. The superego, said Freud, 
results as an introjection of parental values, some of which we adopt out of love and some of which we adopt out of fear. What's so interesting is that, uh, and I've spoken about uh, uh, the development of conscience um, many times, uh, I've done several shows, if you go back into my archive, about Piaget and the development of principles that an individual lives by, awarenesses that actions have consequences, uh, an ego, uh, uh, intellectual understanding that produces emotions that stop us from harming ourselves or others because we understand the consequences of the action. The superego, as Freud meant it, and he saw it developing and changing with maturity into the ego, so that we live by an intelligence rather than a voice in our head, a fear of an authority uh, that has been left over from childhood. And unfortunately, so many individuals never get to the point where the principles they live by are their own, but an authority. And I see this all around me, and I see this uh, 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 in terms of this growing horrendous uh, um, political process where the leader says something and it's true because he's the leader that says it and people don't think it through for themselves there's no self-understanding that what's what's being said or it's larger consequences uh, God is not an internalized aspect of the self of the personality, but God is watching from the outside and will punish transgressions by sending people to hell. This is primitive stuff. It may control a lot of actions. It may even produce good. But to me, and this is a judgment on my part, that this is primitive, that this has to be, if we are to have creative, uh, intelligent individuals living as citizens of the country, citizens in the larger sense, not just part of a pack, not just part of a mob that's ruled by a thought that is external to them. Not an internalized uh, uh, thought, but this introjected thought that uh, uh, punishes uh, and rewards uh, without an understanding of where it comes from and where it doesn't ever become your own set of actions, that they're, they're externally motivated and externally and, and controlled as if they were external and now inside the head. I believe that hallucinations and delusions are this kind of uh, primitive uh, introjection that doesn't get past the two-year stage, two-year-old stage. Uh, I don't believe <clears throat> that hallucinations and <clears throat> delusions uh, where God is speaking to somebody are necessarily, because it's never been proven, are, are the result of brain damage, but the result of a fixation, which was one of Freud's uh, uh, theoretical concepts. The personality becomes arrested in given areas. And this arrestation, this, this uh, control, by an external force is literally heard 
And so we say he was hearing voices. Actually, there was a dialogue going on in our heads all the time. But most of us, if we mature to a certain point, understand that the dialogue is between us and us, even though the image in our head that we're speaking to uh, is someone else or something external. One of the interesting aspects that Freud um, uh, left me with, and that I hold as a principle of morality, is that thoughts and feelings should never be judged as making us think we're bad all the thoughts and feelings, the sexual and aggressive thoughts, are basically thoughts that are human. We may not like them and we may be uncomfortable, but if we accept them as human, two things begin to happen. One is that we stop being afraid of our own feelings and our own thoughts. But two, we have the ability to control them. If we deny our feelings, we have no ability to control them. And when we have a voice telling us to get even by committing murder, and we don't experience it as our voice, and our emotions are cut off from us, and we in, in generalize and we, and we justify what we're doing as God's will, and all you have to do is open the newspaper and to see the slaughter going on in the Middle East as God's will, as individuals are dehumanized because we ourselves are dehumanized. All you have to see is that's going on to understand uh, from a Freudian point of view what happens when uh, the, the tribe, when the mob, ruled by leaders in the name of God, do not think for themselves, do not think through what they're doing, live in fear, and deny the very human emotions that make them human that emerge from evolutionary development. Um, one of the things that happened when I did with therapy with people is that, that your emotions, your feelings are your feelings. What makes you morally wrong is when you act upon them. And murdering somebody has no justification unless it's in self-defense. And even then, it's hard to know when it is self-defense and when you're acting in terms of an impulse and a set of ideas that you've not come to grips with as a reality at the fiber of your own being. This business that we snapped, that, that somebody exploded, they went off like a firecracker, those feelings have been denied for a long period of time. And the conscience is not an individual conscience, that which is uh, 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 internalized and recognized as part of the ego, part of my skill of living. I don't act out this way, even though I feel I want to kill somebody or I want to have sex with somebody. Uh, but it violates my other relationships. And so it's something that lives within me. Uh, I give it voice to myself. It becomes an expression very often in humor. Some of the best comics in the world will use this uh, and play with these ideas uh, and make us laugh. And one of the reasons we laugh is that these ideas suddenly are not any longer dangerous because we don't believe that God is watching us and will punish us because this external force reads our mind 
and hates what's there. One final thought. I have 10 more minutes before I've run out of my time today, and I can go and have my cocktail, uh, uh, which is when Freud's theory, when, when, when Freud uh, in 1914 woke up one morning and the Great War, World War I, had started, he was horrified. Freud never had a great view of human beings. He and I both share a kind of a worry uh, that civilization and self-control are a veneer that sits over uh, a passion that for him was uh, instinctual, for me is evolutionary. Um, when World War uh, I occurred and Europe was destroyed and 50 million, 60 million people were slaughtered. Freud became very disillusioned, more disillusioned with our species. And by the time he died in 1938 in England, he died in London because he had to be leave uh, Germany, uh, Vienna. When Hitler came in, he would have been killed because even though he was one of the great minds in, uh, of our time, his mind would have been despised by Hitler. And uh, uh, the Nazi, and because he was Jewish, there was no question he would have died in a concentration camp or in some other horrible way. Uh, he believed that the human race was not going to make it. And he revised his theory of sex and aggression and expanded it and said that individuals and society can be dominated by one of two thoughts – or they could be counterbalanced and in conflict. One was eros, which was an impulse towards love and creativity, and thanatos, which was the impulse towards death. And in his Just So stories, he saw the rise of civilizations as occurring when eros dominated, and he saw the fall of a civilization and sooner or later, all civilizations seem to fall. They fail. Entropy, or thanatos, in Freudian terms, becomes the dominant feature. And what frightens me is that in the last years of the early years of my life, I lived in a time where for all the things that were wrong, there was more eros dominating culture than Thanatos. And now, with the rise of these guns and the rise of mass murder uh, and the anger that is seeping through our country to the point where there are now 40 or so congressmen who won't be bent or swayed in their desire to see less government uh, by making it no government, uh, the things that are coming out of the candidate's mouth uh, anti-religion, uh, hating certain religions, uh, uh, all kinds of, of, of uh, thanatoptic ideas. Uh, this Ben Carson, uh, a piece of work who's now rising in the polls, who said he second amendment rights are more important than the body of a dead person, a dead child. It, it, it's just 
something that Freud would have uh, rang a bell from in his grave, uh, that Thanatos uh, as somehow an idea or an impulse or a set of ideas, whatever uh, you characterize them to be, without reifying them, without making them real, uh, that we are in a downward spiral uh, and heading towards some very awful times unless those of us who believe in love and believe in creativity uh, really speak up loudly. I have started to write to my senators, my congressmen, uh, and tell them that uh, they have to take a moral stand one way or another, and hopefully the right moral stand, so that people can't get a machine gun and walk into a classroom and kill 30 people in five seconds. This is not a civilized society. This is a society that in Freudian terms is moving towards death, mass death. So, I don't know if I'm going to do another show next week. I don't know what else. I'll have to look at what I wrote in my introduction. I thought this was fairly coherent. I don't know how many people will hear this. Somehow, uh, I think I'm not being cheerful enough in my shows uh, because uh, while I still enjoy my golf game and I still uh, have my sense of humor, uh, I am feeling rather uh, Freudian in my outlook about uh, my, my, my country, uh, which I love dearly and do not want it to see it go in the direction that it seems to be going in and snowballing in that direction. So I will see. Maybe I'll do another show uh, next week on Freud. Maybe I'll do another show on something else. Or maybe I won't do a show for a while. Uh, and just let this sit for as many people who might see it, uh, might hear it. And uh, let's see. Well, there's three minutes left. I'm going to sit quietly for 60 seconds. Maybe someone is there and would like to call in and have something to say and be on my show and tell a story. Maybe somebody wants to join me next week and tell their story. That would be a terrific thing to do. You can contact me. Uh, you could send me an email. Uh, I think you can do it through this, or you can go to Larry Sidock, L-A-R-R-Y-P-S-Y-D-O-C, at gmail.com. Larry Sidock, the storyteller. So... Let's see. Is it time to end my episodes? I think it may be time to end the episode. I have a really nice bottle of, of uh, red wine that is calling to me. And then we make a turkey breast and some mashed potatoes. I bought some good gravy from a local deli. Have a little side of coleslaw. I'll sit down and try not to eat a lot. But after a glass or two of wine, there's no stopping me. And tomorrow I'll have to get up and do penance in the gym so that I don't blow up like a balloon. Okay. Goodbye. Good luck. <laughs>